Welcome to Education Week. My topic today is Righteous Warriors, Lessons from the War Chapters in the Book of Mormon. The question often comes up in Book of Mormon classes, why are there so many wars in the Book of Mormon? And there's a few good answers to that question. One of them might be that the prophets who wrote the Book of Mormon saw our day, and if they did, they saw a day of wars and rumors of wars, so what are they going to write about? Peace? No, they're going to write about war and to help us know how followers of Christ might respond in a time of war. It's also no secret that we are involved in a spiritual warfare right now with the forces of evil. And the war chapters can help us know how to survive and be victorious. And last of all, remember that Mormon, who abridged the Book of Mormon, was a military man himself and spent much of his life on the battlefield. And so the things that we read may reflect his life as a warrior. Whatever the reasons for these wars in the Book of Mormon, one thing we know, these chapters are of worth. In fact, in 1 Nephi chapter 6, verse 6, Nephi said to his posterity, he said, Wherefore I shall give commandment unto my seed, they shall not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth unto the children of men. So we know that the war chapters are of worth. I'd like you right now to turn to Alma chapter 43 as we begin to talk about these things. The war chapters we normally think of as Alma 43 through 62. And if we're going to make it in the time we have, we're going to have to hustle. So that's why I'm asking you to open up to Alma 43 right now. Who is our hero in the war chapters? Captain Moroni. And Captain Moroni had enemies from Z to A you might say. First of all, there was Zarahemla, not to be confused with Zarahemla. Then there was Amalickiah, later his brother Amaron, and then finally the kingmen. Uh, Zarahemla takes an oath later not to, that he won't come and attack the Nephites anymore. Amalickiah is killed by the javelin point of uh, Teancum, as is his brother Amaron. And then the kingmen uh, rebellion is put down by Moroni. The interesting thing about this list of Zarahemna, Amalickiah, Amaron, and the kingmen is that they are all Nephites. Zarahemna is probably a Mulekite. His name is so similar to Zarahemla, and those were Mulekites. But Zarahemna, Mulekite, but all of them grouped with the Nephites, which is interesting. Who caused the most problems for the Nephites? Was it the Lamanites or was it apostate Nephites? Apostate Nephites. Who caused the most problems for the prophet Joseph Smith? Was it Members or apostate members? Apostate members. So this is one of the interesting, interesting things about these enemies of Captain Moroni and the difficulties that they have. Okay, let's go to Alma chapter 43 and see what happened here. If you go all the way to verse 4 there, in Alma chapter 43, it says, It came to pass the Zoramites became Lamanites. Now, how do you do that? How do you just become a Lamanite? You get some white out and change your pedigree chart? How do you do that? What this tells us is that becoming a Lamanite, the further you go through the Book of Mormon, is more and more a matter of lineage, or of, I'm sorry, of affiliation and belief than of lineage and birth. And I'll show you another place where that idea comes up again. So they just become Lamanites. And the, the writers of the Book of Mormon are very careful to show us why people were fighting. Go to verse 8. His designs, Zarahemna, who was stirring up the Lamanites now to fight, his designs were to stir up the Lamanites to anger against the Nephites, the bottom of the verse, by bringing them into bondage. Why were the Nephites fighting? Verse 9. To support their lands, houses, wives, children, and all the way to the bottom that they might worship God according to their desires. Now go to verse 17. Moroni took command of the government of the wars when he was only 20 and 5 years old, which is exactly how old I used to be a long time ago. 
So, young man, 25 years old, verse 19, what did he do? Moroni had prepared his people with breastplates, arm shields, shields to defend their heads, and thick clothing. Zarahemna, verse 20, was not prepared with any such thing. They had only swords, scimitars, bows, arrows, stones, slings, and they were naked save a skin girded about their loins. And I read this and I thought, I wouldn't go anywhere in a loincloth, personally. <laughs> but would you go to a war? See, I'm going into battle tomorrow, what should I wear? Ah, the loincloth, perfect, yes, of course. <laughs> some extra safety pins, maybe, and uh, some sunscreen. But here's the Lamanites in loincloths. They come over the hill, they see the Nephites in their armor, and it says in verse 21, they were exceedingly afraid of the armies of the Nephites because of their armor. You can just imagine. Let's get the Nephites, and they see them and think, let's go attack Manti instead. Ah, so they go off the other way, and then Moroni does something wonderful. Look at verse 23. Moroni sent spies into the wilderness to watch their camp, and also, knowing of the prophecies of Alma, sent certain men unto him, desiring he should inquire of the Lord whether the armies of the Nephites should go to defend themselves against the Lamanites. So I've got in my margin right there in verse 23, I've got faith and works. Here's Captain Moroni. You, you, go follow their camp, tell me where they're going, report back. Then he says to the other guys, you, go ask the prophet Alma. It's great to have a satellite, an SR-71, reconnaissance, Google Earth, whatever. But when you've got a prophet, just go ask the prophet. And so he does both. And he sends them off and they come back and they report. They're going to attack by the land of Manti. So Moroni has this idea. Let's get by the sides of the river of Sidon. And let's go all the way to verse 54 in Alma 43. Because the battle begins and it says, Now Moroni, when he saw their terror, commanded his men that they should stop shedding their blood. So Moroni calls a ceasefire. Uh, what's not the most accurate term, because fire, like, like uh, cease lunging at each other with pointy things. He calls the cease fire, and then we have this wonderful moment. Well, what do we do with Alma chapter 43? Is there a spiritual message in there? Oh, absolutely. Prophets can tell us where the enemy will strike. This is exactly what we just learned. Prophets will tell us where we need to defend ourselves. Way back in 1972, your August 19th, 1972 church news, which I'm sure you have readily available, President Harold B. Lee said, quote, Satan's greatest threat today is to, and I love it when prophets use strong words like that, greatest threat. Satan's greatest threat today is to destroy the family and to make a mockery of the law of chastity and the sanctity of the marriage covenant. 34 years ago, President Harold B. Lee saw that. Prophets tell us where the enemy will strike. And in 1995, in September, President Hinckley announced the proclamation to the world on the family. For me, Alma 43, the way I remember that chapter, prophets can tell us where the enemy will strike. And this is exactly what they did for Captain Moroni and his forces. So then we get to chapter 44. He's called a ceasefire, and the sounds of battle have ceased, and now there's these armies looking at each other. And how many of you have seen the seminary video? And there's Moroni, and he takes off his helmet, and he's this young man, this dark hair, and he yells down there, and he says, let's look at chapter 44, verse 1. Behold, Zarahemna, we do not desire to be men of blood. I love this because sometimes when I ask teenagers to read a verse, would you read that, please? They get that voice. And I think, can you imagine Captain Moroni come out in front of the troops? 
if you have trouble bringing the scriptures to life, well then bring them to life for crying out loud. I don't think, Zerah, I don't think Moroni whispered here. He said, Behold, Zerahemna, we do not desire to be men of blood. Ye know that ye are in our hands, yet we do not desire to slay you. Verse 2. Behold, we have not come out to battle against you that we might shed your blood for power. Neither do we desire to bring anyone to the yoke of bondage, but this is the very cause for which ye have come against us. And you're angry with us because of our religion. And now ye behold that the Lord is with us. I like that part. In fact, I put in my margin Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31, a good verse there. You behold, the Lord is with us. You behold, he has delivered you into our hands. And listen to Moroni. And now I would that you should understand this is done unto us. Moroni could have said, because you guys are bad military strategists. I mean, look at your armor or lack thereof, right? Moroni was great because he never, ever, ever took credit for their successes. And he always took the blame when they were having problems. What does Moroni say? I would you should understand this is done unto us. In fact, I'd like to try an experiment. Teenagers, I want you to snap your fingers when you hear the word faith or a form of the word faith. What is the first principle of the gospel? In, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen and, and watch. Back to verse 3. I know I would that you should understand this is done unto us because of our religion and our faith in Christ. And now you see that you cannot destroy this, our faith. And now you see this is the true faith of God. You see that God will support and keep and preserve us so long as we are faithful unto him and unto our faith and our religion. And never will the Lord suffer that we shall be destroyed except we should fall into transgression and deny our faith. Now, what I love about that, Captain Moroni has them surrounded. They're woefully underdressed. And Captain Moroni could have, at this point, said, drop your weapons, swear an oath, and go home, or we'll wipe you out. But first, Moroni is going to do what? Stand as a witness of God at all times, in all things, and in all places. And isn't it interesting that the first principle of the gospel is what he's going to teach them? Faith, six times you counted it. The reason you're surrounded is our faith in Christ. The reason God is preserving us is our faith in Christ. And it dawned on me one day, just in the dumbest place, I was driving around one day, and I remembered that some of these Nephites who had stirred up these Lamanites to battle were Zoramites. And the Zoramites were the Ramiumpton people who said in their prayer, that has made it known unto us that there will be no Christ. And so here's Moroni telling them, you know why this is happening right now? It's because of our faith in Christ. First principle of the gospel. It should be no surprise to us that a message in the war chapters is about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one with the title of Savior, our Savior and our Redeemer. So then, chapter, or verse 5. Now, Zarahemna, I command you in the name of that all-powerful God. Oh, this is a great verse. Who has strengthened our arms that we have gained power over you by our faith by the rights of our worship, our church, by the sacred support which we owe our wives and children, to the sacred word of God to which we owe all our happiness. He says, you drop your weapons, swear an oath you won't come to attack us again, and you can go home. That's pretty benevolent, don't you think? And Zarahemna walks up, and Zarahemna's my, I, I just love, he's my favorite actor in this because he just looks so mad. He does a good job. Zarahemna walks up and says, behold, here's our weapons of war. But we will not take an oath, which we know that we will break, and we know our children will break. And he returns the weapons of war to Moroni. And then, in the manliest, coolest moment in verse 10, when Zarahemna made an end of speaking these words, Moroni returned the sword and the weapons of war. And that, he had him disarmed. But he gave it back and said, behold, we will end the conflict. 
Isn't that great? And then, if you remember, Zarahemna takes his weapon, starts to walk away. Then he tries to pull a fast one. Turns around, tries to take a swing at Captain Moroni. One of Moroni's servants breaks Zarahemna's sword at the hilt, takes off part of Zarahemna's scalp, holds it up on the end of the sword, and does a little object lesson in verse 14. (laughs) It's what it sounds like to me. Even as this scalp which has fallen to the earth, which is the scalp of your chief, chief, let's see, let me read it correctly. Even as this scalp has fallen to the earth, which is the scalp of your chief, so shall ye fall to the earth. Except ye deliver up your weapons of war and depart with a covenant of peace. And you can just imagine, that's a, <clears throat> that's, that's a pretty good object lesson. <laughs> I surrender, right? And some surrender and some don't, and the battle resumes, but again, they're woefully underdressed. Go to verse 19. Now Zarahemna, when he saw they were all about to be destroyed, cried mightily unto Moroni, promising he would covenant and also his people that if they would spare the remainder of their lives, they would never come to war against them. Captain Moroni at this point could have said, mm, sorry, had your chance. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool, I mean, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not letting you go this time. But he did. He called another ceasefire, verse 20. After they had entered into a covenant with him of peace, they were suffered to depart into the wilderness. And verse 21 tells us the extent of this battle. Their dead was not numbered. The number of their dead was not numbered because of the greatness of the number. Yea, the number of their dead was exceedingly great, both on the Nephites and on the Lamanites. And 25-year-old Captain Moroni has to go home and explain to the widows and the newly orphaned children the price of freedom. I've got a sticker on the back of my truck that says freedom isn't free. And it always reminds me of this as 25-year-old Captain Moroni has to go back and explain. This is what it cost so that we could still be free. What's my message for chapter 44? The one sentence I like to remember chapter 44 by Alma 44 is faith is a power to be reckoned with even in a time of war. Von J. Featherstone said once, Whenever we find problems in the church, we usually find them under one of two umbrellas or canopies, either transgression or lack of faith in Christ. Interesting to me that as the war chapters start, we get this powerful message about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Article of faith number four. Okay, chapter 45. I'm just going to look at one verse. Alma, the prophet, prophesied that some more trouble was coming, and then he departed and was never seen again. Verse 21, it says, For because of their wars with the Lamanites and their many little dissensions and disturbances which had been among the people, it became expedient that, and you think they might say, we got to build more swords and we got to build more forts. But what do they say? No, it's expedient that the word of God should be declared among them. For me, chapter 45, time of peace, time of war, it is expedient, absolutely necessary that the word of God be declared. That is a spiritual message from the war chapter from Alma 45. Let's go to Alma chapter 46. Do you remember our enemies? Who was the first one? Z to A. Zarahemna. Zarahemna as in na 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye, right? Zarahemna is gone. Who's next? Amalekiah. The Nephites have a system of judges they've used for years, but this Amalekiah, in the words of one of my children's favorite videos, just can't wait to be king. That's Amalekiah. He wants to be a king. He's got friends that want him to be a king. And they say to Malachiah, hey, if you're king, can I be secretary of horses and chariots? Yeah, yeah, good idea. Hey, Malachi, if you're king, can I be secretary of agriculture? Ooh, yeah, good idea. So Malachi has got friends who also want him to be king. He wants to be king. They have a system of judges. Captain Moroni sees this and says, no way, not a chance. Kings lead to bondage. We have seen this before. 
And he takes off his coat and he writes verse 12 on it. In memory of our God, our religion and freedom and our peace, our wives and our children, and he fastened it upon the end of a pole. And I brought today my Captain Moroni action figure. And I keep this on my desk at home because it reminds me of what is important. My God, my religion, my freedom, my peace, my wife, my children. And Captain Moroni hoists the title of liberty. In fact, turn the page up to verse 36. It came to pass he caused the title of liberty to be hoisted upon every tower. Every is a lot. And if you're in the land of the Nephites and there's a tower, what's on top? The title of liberty. And they received it by covenant. Great message of Alma 46. Can you hear it? Place reminders of your covenants everywhere. I don't know who your heroes are in life or maybe you love sports. Maybe you've got posters of the NBA or the NFL or soccer or singers or American idolatries or I don't know who you've got on your walls at your home. But here's a question. How many of them have saved your life? We ought to have a picture of the Savior in our room, in our home. President Kimball said we should have a picture of the temple as well. We place reminders of our covenants everywhere. And you go anywhere in the land of the Nephites and you see a tower, you've got a reminder of your covenants everywhere. And for me, that's the message of Alma chapter 46. He hoisted it upon every tower. Now Malachi and his boys see this and they think, we're not going to win this thing, we've got to get out of Dodge. So Malachi takes his followers and they leave. And they go over to the king of the Lamanites and try to stir him up to anger against the Nephites. Now we're in Alma 47. And they say, hey, let's go attack the Nephites. And the King of the Lamanites, apparently kind of gullible, and he says, yeah, let's go attack the Nephites. Malachi, I give you command of my entire army. You've got them. And so Malachi has this whole army to go and attack the Nephites, and the more part of the army deserts and says, no, we don't want to go attack the Nephites. And they go up into this hill, this mount they call the Mount Antipas, and they appoint a man named Lahontai to be their leader, and they say, we're not coming down. And now Malachi has got a problem. He wants to go attack the Nephites, but he can't because his army's too small. He's got the smaller part, the larger parts up there. So he says to his men, men, go up on top of that mountain. Tell Lahontai to come down here. Tell him I want to talk to him. Okay? Okay. That's a, a salute I got from the Klingons on Star Trek or something. But so they go up. Lahontai, it's us, the Malachi's boys. Malachi wants you to come down and talk to him. And Lahontai says, no, Bye. And they say, okay, so they come down. Malachi, he said he's not coming down. Oh, we got to have him. Um, go up again. Remind him that his army is bigger than our army. And tell him, uh, tell him I just want to talk to him. Tell him to come down from his mouth. Okay? Okay. Okay, bye. Well, Hantai, it's us again. Malachi's boys. How you been? Listen, Malachi says, come down from your mountain. He just wants to talk to you. Look, you outnumber us. You're going to be fine. Just come down and talk to him. And Lahontai says... No. In fact, he says, Alma 47, verse 6, we are fixed in our mind with a determined resolution. We will not be subjected to go against the Nephites. Bye. They say, okay, bye. Come back. Malachi, he said he's not coming down. Malachi says, they'll be coming down the mountain when they come. It's not, not those exact words, but I was losing some of the deacons. So uh, he says, go up again. Tell him to come down. Tell him I guarantee his safety. I just want to talk to him. Okay, okay, bye, okay, bye. Man, I wish you stopped sending us up or this is starting to hurt. I know. So they get up there. Lahontai, it's us again, Malachi's boys. Ow, listen. Lahontai, save us all some chest pain, huh? 
come down from your mountain, talk to a Malachi. He just wants to talk to you. And Lahontai says, no, we're fixing our mind with a determined resolution. We're not coming down. Stop coming up. Bye. Okay, bye. Say, come back down. Malachi, he's not coming down. So Malachi gets an idea. And it says, Malachi decided, let's go up. Look at verse 12. Came to pass when Amalekai found he could not get Lahontai to come down from off the mount, he went up into the mount nearly to Lahontai's camp. Man, I read this for years and thought, what is of worth in here? What can I find? What message is in here? And as Michael Wilcox pointed out something to me, he called it the Lahontai principle. <laughs> here it comes. So you'll hear it. So then Amalekai goes up and sends his embassy and they say, Lahontai, come down just a little bit. Come down just a little bit. Can you hear something in there? Come down just a little. Bring your guards. You'll be safe. Come down just a little bit. We're reading it going, no, don't do it, right? And every time I read it, the same thing happens. But he says, come down just a little bit. So Lahontai comes down just a little bit. And then here comes Malachi. Can you imagine the scene? Malachi is treacherous, man. This guy gives me the creeps. Here comes Malachi. Hey, Lantai, buddy, you know what? I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. In fact, I just want to serve under your able leadership. Here's my idea. Why don't you bring your army down in the nighttime, surround my smaller army, and then when my smaller army wakes up in the morning, they'll see your larger army, and they'll say, oh, man, Amalekai, we don't want to fight those guys. I mean, I mean that's my brother. Hi, Ted, and let's surrender. And, and Amalekai says, I will surrender my army to you, Lahontai, in exchange for all you have to do is make me second in command. What do you say? You can imagine Lahontai, well, I don't know. We were kind of fixed in our mind with a determined resolution. Okay, but I'll be... I'll be in control of things, right? Oh, you'll be in command. I just want to serve under you. Well, we're reading it going, no, but he goes for it. Well, okay, we'll, we'll be coming down the mountain when we come. You'll see us. We'll be riding six white horses when we come. <laughs> so the plan of Amalekiah works. Lahontai comes down in the nighttime, surrounds Amalekiah's army. Amalekiah's army wakes up, sees that larger army. We don't want to fight those guys. Hi, Ted, let's surrender. And they surrender. And now they are one big happy army, Lahontai in command, and Amalekiah second in command. Is Amalekiah done? No. If you're second in command and you want to be first in command, what do you do? You kill the guy that's first in command. And how did he do it, though? Oh, this is fascinating. When Mormon abridged this, he could have said something very simple like, uh, one of the servants of Amalekiah killed Lahontai, and it would be factually accurate and correct. But he gives us a little more detail. Look at verse 18. It came to pass that Amalekiah caused that one of his servants should administer poison by degrees to Lahontai that he died. So not only did he just kill him, but he poisoned him. And then how? Two more words by what? By degrees. I read that. I thought that. Is fascinating. That's a treasure that they put that in there. I mean, I suspect if somebody shoots you, I suspect you know about it, right? Ow, oh, stop it, right? I think you know about it. If somebody stabs you, I suspect you know about it. Don't perforate me. But if somebody poisons you, you might not even realize it's happening, especially if it's by degrees, little by little. Hey, Lahontai, have a, have a refreshing beverage. I'm feeling a little sleepy. Oh, why don't you go uh, lie down in your tent there? You know, I'll, I'll get you a little bit more. No. All right. 
bring it to Lahontai. He takes a little bit more. Lahontai thought he was in command up until the very moment he died. And then he was gone, and Malachi takes over, now in charge of the entire army, one big happy army, and he goes back to the king of the Lamanites. Very interesting thing happening here. I, liked, I would like to suggest today that Amalekiah is a very interesting type of Satan. You know how Moses is a type of Christ and things like that? Malachi is like a type of Satan. Think about this for a minute. Malachi was a Nephite. Uh, he had followers that wanted him to be king. In the pre-mortal existence, there was someone up there who said, I will ascend my throne above the stars of God. That was Satan. But he was cast out and took followers with him. Malachi was cast out, took followers with him. Malachi was a Nephite and was opposing Helaman, the prophet, uh, who was Satan. He was a son of the morning and opposing the father and son rebelled. And because of his rebellion was cast out. So then we come down here to earth and uh, here comes Satan. We make covenants. We might even say we go up into a mountain and make covenants. Some of us have. We go up to the mountain of the Lord, the temple. We make covenants. Satan comes out and sees the young women and says, Hey, young women, come down for your mountain. And you young women are awesome. You say, No, bye. <laughs> so it goes over to the young men. Young men, come down. And you say, No, bye. So it goes over to the young women. Young women, come down. And the young women are totally trained. You say, No. We are daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us, so we love Him, and we will stand as witnesses of God at all times and all things and in all places as we strive to live the young values, which are faith, divine nature, individual worth, knowledge, choice, and accountability, good works, and integrity. In fact, we believe as we come to accept and act upon these values, we will be prepared to strengthen home and family, make and keep sacred covenants, receive the ordinance of the temple, and enjoy the blessings of exaltation. Bye. <laughs> and we give the young men shorter things to memorize, like, be prepared. Young men, come down. Be prepared. <laughs> Young women, come down. No, we are daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us. So we love Him. We'll stand as witnesses. So this goes on. So what does Satan do? Oh, this is treacherous. He comes up. And then he says, Young women, come down just a little bit. Young men, come down just... Ooh, in fact, he just lies. He comes out and says, Hey, young women, you know what? I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. And then he says this. You've heard it. Do you know who your enemy is? It's that church. Man, you guys can't do anything in your church. You ever heard that? Can't date till you're 16, can't see the bad movies, can't drink, can't party. I want to give you freedom. Freedom to become addicted is what he means, which is kind of an oxymoron, right? <laughs> he says, hey, come down. Just, oh, young women, I'm not asking you to break the law of chastity. Just Dress a little immodestly. Come down just a little bit. You'll be in control. Young man, I'm not asking you to break the law of chastity either. Come down just a little bit. Just get a swimsuit issue. Um, go places on the internet you shouldn't be. Come down just a little bit. And he poisons us by degrees, and we don't even realize it's happening. In this account, Amalekia is called cunning and flattering and a murderer. Satan is called cunning and flattering and a murderer. What I have in my scriptures right next to verse 18 there, where it says poison by degrees, I've got 2 Nephi 28, 21, where it says that Satan will lead us carefully down to hell. Or in other words, by degrees, little by little. And what's his ultimate goal? To put us into bondage, 
in the chains of hell, what was Malachi's goal? Same thing, put us into bondage. I love this story. For me, Alma 47 is, don't come down from your mountain. Someone comes along and says, come down just a little bit. You know what to do. No, bye. You can recite the whole thing or the boys, be prepared and say that. Great message from the war chapters. I love these. Then what happens? Well, now Malachi has the whole army and he goes back to the king of the Lamanites. And the king of the Lamanites says, wow, look at this huge army you've raised to go up against the Nephites. And they all bow down in front of the king. And the king reaches out his hand, which was a, a token of peace or something, it says they received from the Nephites. Well, one of Malachi's men stands up and stabs the king of the Lamanites to the heart that he fell. Some of the king's servants escaped to come back into the story later. And now Malachi has become king of the Lamanites. And guess what? The first thing he does is look at Alma 48 verse 1. As soon as Amalekiah had obtained the kingdom, he began to inspire the hearts of the Lamanites against the people of Nephi. Yea, he did appoint men to speak unto the Lamanites from their towers against the Nephites. Isn't that fascinating? Nephites, towers, title of liberty, love God. Lamanites, towers, hate Nephites. And they gear up for battle. So then we get to Alma chapter 48. Look at verse 7, Alma 48 verse 7. Now it came to pass, while Amalickiah had thus been obtaining power by fraud and deceit, Moroni, on the other hand, get your snappers ready, had been preparing the minds of the people to be faithful unto the Lord their God. Okay, discontinue snappage. You know what I love about that? They knew more wars were coming. What was job one? Quick, more forts, more swords, more armor. Nope. Job one was let's get our spiritual act together now. Wonderful, consistent message in the war chapters. Get your spiritual act together now. Then you worry about all those other temporal problems you've got. School and work and family and all that stuff. Well, family's not a temporal problem, but you know what I mean. You get your spiritual act together. Job one. You repent if you need to. You get uh, back to church if you need to. You're in your scriptures. You're in your prayers. You're doing all the things that bring the Spirit of the Lord into your life. You get your life right with God. Job one. Then we can worry about the threats outside there, temporally speaking. Very consistent on that matter. And uh, for me, chapter 48 is spiritual preparation first. You make covenants, then you make swords. But you can't just go past chapter 48 unless you read verse 17, because everybody loves this verse. It's a favorite. They verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be likened to Moroni, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. And that's another reason I like to keep my Captain Moroni action figure on my desk. Go to verse 23. They were sorry. How should a Christian behave in times of war? How should we feel about warfare? Look at verse 23. They were sorry to take up arms against the Lamanites. They did not delight in the shedding of blood, and this was not all. They were sorry to be the means of sending so many of their brethren out of this world into an eternal world unprepared to meet their God. That was the problem. They didn't want to send people out of this world unprepared to meet God. I love what President Spencer W. Kimball said once. There is no tragedy in death, only in sin. He didn't want to send them out of this world unprepared to meet God. So for me, Alma chapter 48, that's the message I remember. Spiritual preparation first. Chapter 49 is that if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. Chapter. Look for the word preparation here. Look at verse 5. 
Now at this time the chief captains of the Lamanites were astonished exceedingly because of the wisdom of the Nephites in preparing their places of security. I love the Book of Mormon because people are never just mildly surprised. It's never, oh, it's always astonished exceedingly. You ever notice that? Especially that when they, the Ramayumptum, it said they were astonished beyond all measure. And I've always wondered, what would that look like? I just wonder what astonished beyond all measure would look like. But these guys are exceedingly astonished because of the wisdom of the Nephites in look for the word, preparing their places of security. What's the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. Look at verse 8. Behold, to their uttermost astonishment, they were prepared for them in a manner which never had been known among the children of Lehi. Now they were prepared for the Lamanites. Verse 9. Came to pass the Lamanites or the Amalekites were exceedingly astonished at their manner of preparation for war. That one struck me once because Malachiah was a Nephite. But something about their manner of preparation, it was different than perhaps conventional means. And that tells us something about the world. What is the world's way to combat teen pregnancy, for example? Well, let's give out more uh, birth control in the high schools. What is the gospel's way to do it? Let's teach doctrine. Let's teach the law of chastity. Their manner of preparation was different. Then you see in verse 10, Amalickiah, the very end of verse 10, did not care for the blood of his people. Look at verse 14. To their astonishment, the city of Noah, which had hitherto been a weak place, had now by means of Moroni become strong. What verse does that remind you of? Weak things becoming strong. Ether 12, 27, right? If we come to Christ, I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And if they come unto Christ, then he will make weak things strong. So what do we do? We look at our world. Somebody asked President Harold B. Lee once, hey, what's the most important commandment? I believe he was with a group of missionaries. And I'm told President, Hinkley, uh, President uh, Lee thought about it for a while and then said, it's the one you're having the most trouble with. So what do we do? We look at all of our fortifications. We look at our lives and think, where's the place where I'm weakest? And that's what I'm going to fortify first. And this is how Captain Moroni fortified his cities. He took a weak place and made it strong. Well, chapter 49 is the preparation chapter. Go, go up to verse 27 and 28 just so we can follow the storyline. Malachi was exceedingly wroth, and he did curse God and also Moroni, swearing with an oath that he would drink his blood. And this because Moroni had kept the commandments of God in preparing for the safety of his people. Verse 28, and it came to pass on the other hand, Mormon's a great abridger because he gives us these great contrasts with something like, on the other hand, the people of Nephi did thank the Lord their God because of his matchless power in delivering them from the hands of their enemies. So chapter 49 for me, be prepared chapter. Chapter 48, what was that? Spiritual preparation first. Chapter 49, you can imagine if we dismissed this class right now and said, uh, we have a little problem. We'd like everybody to go outside of the Joseph Smith building here and dig a ditch around the Joseph Smith building. We can't use any backhoes, anything diesel or gasoline powered. You have to use your shovel and hands and just dig a big ditch around the, the JSB. That would take a while. It would take a long time. These people had to do that around entire cities. And I imagine we'd come back in here, um, brother, by the way, I'm getting a blister. Uh, and then Moroni, when they were done with that, he says, okay, we're not done. We've got a ditch. We've got a heap of earth. Let's go up to the mountains and make a, 
a work of timbers up to the height of a man on top of the heaps of earth next to the ditch. So they go up in the mountains and they cut down lumber and they make a work of timbers on top of the heaps of the ditch on top of the, on top of the, I mean, on top of the heaps of earth next to the ditch. Uh, Moroni, I'm getting a blister and a sliver. Uh, no, we've got to do more. Let's make a frame of pickets on top of the heap of timbers, on top of the work of timbers, on top of the heaps of earth next to the ditch. Uh, Moroni, I have homework. No, now let's make towers on top of the frame of pickets, on top of the work of timbers, on top of the heaps of earth next to the ditch. One last step. Let's put towers on top of the frame of pickets, on top of the work of timbers, on top of the heaps of earth next to the ditch. Then we should probably put people in the towers. And what can people in the towers do? They can see things with their old-fashioned wooden binoculars far off, right? So the people on the towers are looking, they're watching. And you can just imagine them calling down below, Behold, danger approacheth. Two o'clock, prepare thyself. And you can imagine how silly it would be for us. Maybe our job is work of timber maintenance what they call WTMs, the work of timber maintenance. And imagine how silly it would be if we looked up and said, I don't see any danger to the guy in the tower. Well, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Ezekiel 3.17 is where we get the phrase, there's often a synonym for prophets, a watchman on the tower. They're watchmen on the tower. The Lord said to Ezekiel, I have called thee to be a watchman unto Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. So here we are, work of timber maintenance, and President Hinckley, the watchman on the tower, looks down, gives us for the strength of youth, says something about uh, tattoos, says something about uh, body piercing. And can you imagine how silly it would be for us to go, I don't see what's wrong with that. So all of us, myself included, have to be humble enough to say, maybe the watchman sees things that I don't see. And maybe I follow because he's got a better perspective than I do. He's on the tower. In fact, at general conference, we will sustain him and the 12 as prophets, what? Seers, seers, one who sees, and revelators. So we can say, maybe they see. So for me, chapter 50 is you build your tower, you build your fortifications, and you listen to the watchman on the tower. That's a spiritual message because they can see things sometimes that we can't. Alma chapter 50. Here's a problem. The king men are starting to get big again in Zarahemla. And they have to go back and stop this. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on 51. But the sad thing is it's, it's the same message President Benson delivered April 1989. Beware of pride. Pride within means Moroni has to take his armies away from the borders where the danger is, come back into the center of the land, and put down that king men rebellion and endangering all of the outside. And pride within almost destroys the Nephites in the end of the Book of Mormon, it does, and the Jaredites. And then the writers of the Book of Mormon seem to be looking ahead and say, pride destroyed us, pride destroyed the Jaredites, beware of pride, it will destroy you too if you're not careful. Well, at the end of chapter 51, Amalickiah and Teancum are having a battle. And when they retire and get tired at the end of the day, Amalickiah doesn't retire and he says to his buddy, Come on. And he takes a javelin and he sneaks into the camp of the Lamanites, finds Malachi's tent, puts a javelin to his heart and applies pressure and then leaves. Let's go. And you can only imagine him coming back to camp. Where have you been? I just went over there, found Malachi and took him out. So, you know, 
you, you did what? Well, I just found a Malachi's tent and took him out. So he probably had to wake up. They might retaliate. And uh, he took out a Malachiah. Malachi is gone. One-way ticket to the spirit world. And sometimes I've had students say, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh. He took him out. Reminds me of something President Romney said, speaking of Satan in the premortal existence. There in the world of spirits, President Romney said, the father and the son could find no ground on which they could cooperate with him. He had to be cast out, not compromised with, cast out. <clears throat> gone. Malachi's gone. Malachi's got a brother, Alma 52. There's a city named Mulek. They want to take the city of Mulek. There's a guy in there whose name is Jacob, a Lamanite. They write him a letter. Looking for a box of Kleenex, which is usually a handy visual aid. Here's the city of Mulek. Yeah, this works better because it has a flag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's, here's the city of Mulek. And there's Jacob. And they write a letter. to This was a Lamanite city, but the, I mean, a Nephite city. But the Lamanites took it. So they write Jacob a letter and say, Jacob, come out and meet us, on, meet us in battle on the plains. And Jacob writes back and says, no. So they write him another letter. Now, and this is what it says, actually. Let's see. I'm a 52, verse 21. It came to pass, Moroni, having no hopes of meeting them upon fairgrounds. I love that it says fairgrounds. It sounds like the fairgrounds, you know. We'll meet you behind the Guernsey display, right? Having no hopes of meeting them upon fairgrounds, he resolved upon a plan that he might decoy the Lamanites out of their strongholds. So here's Moroni. He says, I'm going to hide my army over here. Tian, come take a small number of men, march along the seashore. We'll lure them out. I'll turn and take the city. Okay, okay. So here's Tian coming a small number of men. <laughs> Lamanites, old-fashioned binoculars. Behold, Tian come and a small number of men. We can take them and we'll be right back. Small number. Yeah, let's get them. So <laughs> they come piling out. Tian come and his men see that they're being pursued and they quicken their march. I've often wondered, do you think that was just a little bit exciting for them to, <laughs> it's working, you know, hope they don't get us. <laughs> oh no. So they run faster. Moroni's men turn, take the city of Mulek and uh, Tiancum's small number lead the Lamanites further and further and further away. And then finally they approach the outskirts of Bountiful where <laughs> there's a Nephite commander named Lehi and his army, standing there, leaning on their javelins, like, when they see him come over the hill, you can just imagine. You've been stratagemmed. <laughs> we better get back. We're going to lose the city of Mulek. So they turn around, and guess who's behind him? Half of Moroni's army has also followed them, going, <laughs> it's, it's true. You've been stratagemmed. <laughs> and they're able to take the city of Mulek. I read this chapter 10 times. I thought, this is so interesting. I love the stratagem, but what in the world do I do with this? So I read it again. Uh, do not occupy these plates with things which are not of worth. So I read it again. And I'm not, I'm not claiming that this is the interpretation of Scripture, but maybe it's an application of Scripture. I finally wrote in my margin, why did they leave their stronghold? And then the boop light bulb went on. Yeah. Why in the world would you leave your stronghold? And I thought, perhaps the stratagems of war are very similar to the stratagems that Satan uses against us. For example, here's a small temptation. You can leave your stronghold. Come out for just a sec, and you can go right back. Ever heard of the, I'll just sin now and then repent later temptation? Then I'll be right back. But what happens is it lures you out and it lures you further and further away until you never 
can get back. So for me, Alma 52, don't leave your stronghold. There's a statement that President James E. Faust made that goes so perfectly along with this. He said, over my lifetime, I have seen some of the most choice, capable, and righteous of men stumble and fall. And he's not talking to teenagers here. He was talking in priesthood conference, men and teenagers. They have been true and faithful for many years, then get caught in a web of stupidity and foolishness, which has brought great shame to themselves and their families and betrayed the trust of their innocent families, leaving their loved ones a legacy of sorrow and hurt. My dear brethren, all of us, young and old, must constantly guard against the enticements, or we might say the stratagems, the decoys of Satan. We must choose wisely the books and magazines we read, the movies we see, and how we use modern technology, such as the Internet. Another story that I think fits so perfectly with this is King David, who sees Bathsheba, sends his men. Find out who that is. That's Bathsheba. We are hoping at that point he's going to say, well, tell her to be a little more modest or to get a shower curtain or something. But he doesn't. He says, send for her. She comes back. Then we're hoping he's going to, he's going to say, you shouldn't do this. And then David, he's lured further and further away, and then he can never get back. And then he finally sends for her husband, Uriah, and he won't spend any time at home. He sleeps on the king's porch, so he sends him to the worst part of battle where he gets killed. And David thinks, Whew, nobody knows. This is David who slew Goliath. It's such a sad story. But then what happens? A seer, a watchman on a tower, shows up and says, David, a certain man had a little lamb. He loved it. It was his only lamb. He took care of it. Another man, a wealthy man, came and took that lamb and killed it for himself. And David said, that man should be punished. And Nathan said, thou art the man. That's what they call an entrapment parable. <laughs> you don't know it's about you until you've already passed the verdict. Oh, what a sad story. We're running out of time. Let's go to Alma chapter 53. Alma 52, don't leave your stronghold. Alma 53, let's just go to verse 20. They were all young men. This is the stripling warriors when we were first introduced to them. They were exceedingly valiant for courage and also for strength and activity, but this is not all. They were men who were true at all times and whatsoever thing they were entrusted. If you know the church is true, be true to the church. My wife was walking around in uh, junior high one day, long before she was my wife, but she, when she was in junior high, she was walking around with a friend and somebody came up to her and said, are you guys Mormon? And my wife said, her friend said, no. And Kim knew she was, and she looked at her like, well, I am. And then her friend said, I am too, just kidding. And my wife thought, she's a just kidding Mormon. If you know the church is true, be true to the church. And this is what helped the stripling warriors so much in facing all their battles. So that's all for 53. 54, oh, these, this, these letters, how can you get bored? These letters back and forth. Amoron now, the brother of uh, Malachi, has taken over. Amoron, don't say Amoron, that's rude. Amoron takes over, and he writes this letter and says, let's have a prisoner exchange, and Captain Moroni writes back. Wow, what a letter. What's the first principle of the gospel? Faith. What's second? Repentance. Watch this, verse 6. Behold, I would tell you somewhat concerning the justice of God and the sword of his almighty wrath, which doth hang over you, except you repent and withdraw your armies into your own lands. I hadn't noticed that before. He doesn't just tell them to withdraw. It's repent and withdraw. Look at verse 7. I would tell you concerning that awful hell that awaits to receive such murderers as thou and thy brother have been, except you repent and withdraw your murderous purposes. I love verse 9. 
Except ye withdraw your purposes, ye will pull down the wrath of God whom ye have rejected upon you. He's saying you should fear God more than you fear our armies. Look at verse 11. But it supposeth me that thou art a child of hell. Wow. This is strong language. How do you close a letter like that? Love, Captain Moroni. You know? <laughs> Some students have asked me, well, would Jesus talk that way? Answer, footnote, 11a, John 8, 44. When Jesus said to those who were plotting to kill him, ye are of your father, the devil. Meekness does not mean weakness. One definition of meekness is great power under control. Somebody once said, if you think being meek is being weak, try being meek for a week. Great power that's submissive to its master. Well, Captain Moroni says, no way, this, uh, I'm not going to exchange. Well, they, they, they exchange these letters. Let me finish because then Amron writes back. And he says in verse 21, Concerning that God whom you say we have rejected, we know not such a being, neither do ye. And I wrote in my margin, oh my Korahor. <laughs> he says, if I don't know there's a God, you can't know it either. And that was so Korahor, so I had to put that in my margin on verse 21. Now remember what I said earlier, Alma 43, the Zoramites became Lamanites? That becoming a Lamanite is more a matter of, uh, as we go through the Book of Mormon, it becomes more a matter of affiliation and belief than lineage and birth. Look at verse 24. And behold, now, Amron says, I am a bold Lamanite. And you're like, what? You're Malachi's brother. You're a Nephite. It's because he's talking about his affiliation and belief. Alma 54 thing I like to remember is you should fear God more than our armies, and meekness is not weakness. Alma 55, let's see if we can get through this one. Captain Moroni says, I'm not exchanging prisoners with these guys. I've got another idea. Captain Moroni says, I need a Lamanite by birth this time. Guy raises his hand. Yeah, what's your name? Laman. Ooh, that fits. Laman, come here. It's Laman. Take this wine over to the guards who are guarding our Nephite prisoners. We'll get them drunk. We'll get our people out of there. So they take the wine. And uh, look in verse 8. Fear not, behold, I am a Lamanite. Behold, have you escaped from the Nephites, and they sleep. We have taken of their wine and brought it with us. Verse 9. When the Lamanites heard these words, they received him with joy and said, Give us your wine that we may drink, for we are weary. And I always thought, weary? I mean, I get we're thirsty, but we are weary. I thought, this isn't Gatorade. <laughs> we're weary. And Laman is brilliant because to further the, the deception, he says, no, let's wait till tomorrow till we go up against the Nephites. And then they start to whine about the wine. No, let us have the wine. And he says, you may do according to your desires. <laughs> and gives them the wine and they get completely drunk. Question, how hard is it to kill a drunk sleeping guard? It's easy, but it's not very sportsmanlike. And that's not Captain Rona. So you go to verse 16, it says, They cast weapons of war unto the prisoners. So they're inside of the city, and they're out there casting whew, weapons of war. And you can just hand me another one. Whew. What's this thing? It keeps coming back. Oh, that's a boomerang. Oh, sorry. Whew. So they're throwing these weapons of war in there to the prisoners. And finally, I just have to wonder... If Moroni wasn't smiling when he etched this in the plates. Go look at verse 22. This was done in the nighttime, so that when the Lamanites awoke in the morning, they beheld that they were surrounded by the Nephites without, and that their prisoners were armed within. And thus they saw that the Nephites had power over them. And in these circumstances, I mean, it could have been, please don't kill us, we surrender. But the way he writes it, they found that it was not expedient that they should fight with the Nephites. <laughs> I, just, I just love that. 
we find it is not expedient that we should fight with you at this time. So, uh, so they got all their prisoners out and they didn't have to shed blood. And that's one of the other wonderful things about Captain Moroni. He wanted to do things without the shedding of blood. Well, something kind of interesting at the end of 55 here is then the Lamanites tried the same kind of approach to the Nephites. They kept bringing him bottles of Hey, you guys, you want some wine? And you can just imagine the Nephites. No thanks, guys, but how'd you come up with that one? He almost had us going there, you know. Only see him walking away. I told you that word worked, you stupid. And they're walking home and they try they they wouldn't try it. It says look at verse thirty one. Oh, this is this is a sermon in a sentence. Behold, the Nephites were not slow to remember the Lord their God in this their time of affliction. Now maybe your time of affliction isn't war. Probably isn't. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's other problems, other temptations. Don't be slow to remember the Lord your God in your time of affliction. They could not be taken in their snares. They would not partake of the wine, save they had first given some to the Lamanite prisoners. And they were thus cautious, verse 32, that no poison should be administered among them. Oh, that's a great statement too. Be cautious that no poison is administered among you. I heard this on the radio, and I almost couldn't believe it. Because it was a certain celebrity that said this, and I thought, uh-uh. I've memorized it. Quote, TV's poison to grow up and not to have a sense of responsibility to be plopped in front of a television set instead of being read to or talked to or encouraged to interact with other human beings is a huge mistake. And that's what happens to a lot of children. I heard that on the radio and I thought, uh-uh. And so I went to the grocery store and the only time I've ever bought the magazine called Red Book, I bought it. Guess who said that? That was Madonna. Now, friends, when Madonna becomes the voice of reason, it's time for all of us to take a hard look at ourselves. <laughs> They were thus cautious that no poison was administered among them. And so much of the media out there is poison. We've got to be cautious that no poison is administered among us. I have to skip 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, and 62 because I simply don't have time. But the beauty of it is you have the book. And you can read these whenever you want. And there are great messages there. What are some spiritual messages from all these war chapters? I started making notes in my margin when I saw what the Nephites did and when I saw what the Lamanites did. And here are the things I had written down when I saw what the Nephites did. It was things like repent. Get your spiritual act together. It was prepare for attacks on your faith. That's a spiritual lesson that we can get. They had attacks on their, on their bodies. We can prepare for attacks on our faith. Also, we can be aware of the nature of Satan's stratagems, the wiles of the devil. You know that verse about the putting on the whole armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and loins girt about with truth and the sword of the spirit that ye may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. I looked up wiles in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. You know what it says? A trick or stratagem. What helps us with the stratagems? It's wearing the armor of God. And also, we overcome our fear with faith in Christ. Job 1, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are some temporal lessons from the war chapters? Then we'll be done. First of all, military strength without spiritual strength is weakness. President Kimball, find your June 76 ensign. And he talked about worshiping gods of steel and stone and relying on them for protection, when in fact, if we would just get our spiritual act together, then the promises of safety for this land would still be kept by the Lord. And we haven't been in danger from others' missiles. What we've been in danger of is our own spiritual weakness.
Next, the proper attitude toward war. We see great reluctance. We see sorrow to take up arms. But we see that we must defend our religion, our freedom, our peace, our God, our wives, our children, and the title of liberty. Also, we see the importance of righteous leaders taught in this. With elections coming up, we elect good, honest people to office because we know they will have access to intelligence and things that we don't and we'll want them to make good, inspired decisions. And lastly, when the world gets us down, we can let Christ lift us up. As Mormon wrote to his son Moroni in Moroni 9.25, I have not written these things to weigh thee down, but may Christ lift thee up. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps the greatest message I get from these wonderful chapters. Well, we didn't have time to finish them today, but I hope maybe you've got some incentive to go back there and see what can I find that is of great worth in these chapters to help me in this time of spiritual battles. I hope it's been helpful for you today, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.